The next panel is about community empowerment. So can I just start by saying I just want to thank the Indigenous community for giving me the, the privilege of um, being able to chair this panel. I hope I do you justice tonight. Can I just... Thank you. Mix it up a little bit. Um, can I... Can I just invite one person up on stage before we begin? I think this is really important, an important way to um, uh, open up the panel. I'm going to let Ken, uh, Uncle Ken Canning come back to the stage and introduce a very special guest. Thank you, and thank you, Carla, for that wonderful performance. I'm always amazed at hip-hop rap artists. How do you remember all those lyrics? I cannot remember two lines out of a poem I ever wrote. <laughs> but then again, that's probably you. Once you get to know me, you'll know why. Uh, I loved the panel earlier. I remember Kaya nursing her as a baby, and look at her now, beautiful mother. And uh, she was the cutest little baby too. She used to cry whenever she looked at me. So. <laughs> but I do want to introduce somebody who's uh, probably one of the bravest people in the country today who will be speaking at our rally tomorrow. And by brave, she's had to put up with so much in such a short, in such a, over a long, long period of time. And you all saw that disgusting footage of the Dondale Centre and young Dylan Voller. Well, his mother's here tonight to talk to you about what's been happening up there. And this is an incident that the whole country should hang its head in shame. This is happening to our, one of our young Indigenous men, many of our young Indigenous men. But that one image, that one image, that alone should get us out on the streets tomorrow. Joanne, could you please come up? Thank you. Yeah, I'm just pretty nervous to be standing here. I'm pretty honoured to be standing here, but just want to share a little bit about my son, Dylan. Um, he's still locked up. He's been in there for three and a half years. He was in there for two and a half years before that. I've been torturing him since he was 12. And the government keeps assuring me that he's safe where he is, but only in April he was pushed down a flight of stairs by a guard, which has got the video footage, and the, the police and the lawyers are looking into it at the moment. But he's also calling out for all the other lads in there, there's so many injustices inside the jail that we need people to stand up and fight. And I can't talk. <laughs> okay, people. Well, yeah. Thank you. I just want you to know that we all support you. We're here for you, and we're not going to give up until justice is served. Need a second. Um, first person I'd like to in, 
invite uh, to the stage is someone who's been an enormous supporter of me and my work, and um, someone who I admire very much and I've learned a lot from over the years, Professor Juanita Sherwood from the National Centre for Cultural Competence, the academic director. Next, another person who's been a great supporter of me and uh, someone who I've worked with on uh, a number of different fronts, um, Imelda Davis from, from the, um, she's the president of the Australian South Sea Islanders, Port Jackson. I have to admit, the next person has also been a great supporter of me and someone I've learned from. I should have said that for, for well, I am saying that for every person, but, uh, but especially Evelyn, um, Evelyn, uh, Evelyn Araluan Kaur, excuse me, uh, I'm a bit nervous. Um, she's a PhD candidate at the University of Sydney and uh, someone who actually has taught me a lot of really important lessons and someone who I can really engage with on an uh, intellectual level and on a personal level, so welcome her. And someone who I had the pleasure of meeting for the first time today, but who I've looked up to for many years, you know who I'm talking about. Let's, Akala. Okay, so this, this panel's about community empowerment. And I've got, I mean, like always, uh, people who have been to panels that I've chaired, I've got a lot of things to, to raise. But I think I'm gonna start with something that, um, that I think draws on my own experience uh, in education. Learning through the traditional, or I guess the conventional education system, and learning from community. Maybe I'll start with you, Juanita. Um, maybe you can make a contrast between the education you received formally and the education you received from community. Sorry. <laughs> um, basically, I think... <laughs> Move back, right back. Everyone All right. <laughs> All right. The way we've been taught has been to silence us. Um, I've really valued the first panel and I, I gained a lot of knowledge from you guys and thank you for sharing. And it, it just built back for me um, around a community engagement process around how we use story, um, which is part of our cultural practice for um, passing on knowledge. And hip-hop is a methodology for storytelling. And I think that's something we've been doing for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And we what we have is a methodology that enables us to critique colonisation and to provide a decolonial agenda, um, which is opposite to what we've been taught. Um, we've been silenced and the colonisation has shut us down um, and we have the opportunity to utilise a methodology that works for us and that brings, I think, and I've been really fortunate working in the academy to work with a load of 
Indigenous brothers and sisters across many countries and we share ways of doing business and ways of knowing to connect and grow and build our voices and I think that's what hip-hop does. Thank you. I'm so glad. And I'm so glad you're bringing that to the University of Sydney. We need to re-educate the educators. Um, Akala, something that really impressed me about um, the, the talks that you've given in the past, the lectures you've given at really prestigious places such as Oxford, but um, all over actually in, on all, in all different um, contexts, and that's a very particular school that you went to growing up and it gave you a very special perspective on the education system. Could you maybe um, reflect on that? Um, yeah, so um, I went to a special, <clears throat> uh, what we call Pan-African Saturday school. Um, in the UK in the 1970s, the f black people have been in the UK for about 2,000 years. So when I say the firstborn generation, I mean the post-World uh, War II generation, because my community has been very guilty of pretending we were like the first black people to come to Britain. Um, <clears throat> so my dad's generation, the first British-born generation of that Caribbean post-war migration, were victims of very, uh, very vicious forms of institutionalized racism. One of them was a eugenics-inspired program called ESN, educationally subnormal, right, where predominantly, it was applied to working class communities generally, but predominantly uh, African-Caribbean children were labeled educationally subnormal, i.e. these people are ineducable, they're just dumb, they're genetically this deficient, essentially was the inspiration of that. One of the black community's reactions to that, or particularly I say Caribbean because the West African migrant community came a little later, and that's significant because there's a big educational attainment gap between West Africans and Caribbeans, even though genetically we're the same people. What else can explain it? Um, so one of the reactions of our community was to set up working class communities, their own Saturday schools, to teach black history, to help children with their maths and science, and basically give them what they weren't getting from mainstream school. I went to one of those schools. It was called the Winnie Mandela School. So that gives you right there a sense of what kind of school it was, right? Um, I learned about Marcus Garvey at five. I learned about the Haitian Revolution. It caused me a lot of problems in mainstream school, though. Because when they would teach me their bullshit, I curse, I curse sometimes, I'm sorry. Um, like, I'll give you one example. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, this is the one example I'll give you, but it's kind of contrast between what you were saying about mainstream education and community education. Uh, my, my teacher took me to the National Portrait Gallery. And in the National Portrait Gallery, there's a picture of William Wilberforce. Does everyone know who that is? He's a white British abolitionist, right? He's, you know, he's the man responsible for all black people's freedoms. Um, so she took me to the, the National Project Gallery and she was like, she's, she was like, Kingsley, this man, he stopped slavery. And I went, miss, like, all by himself. Like, I was seven, right? I, was, I mean, I, but the point is they, they try to impose their narrative on us. And what community education does is say, mm, actually, that's not the whole truth. And it can put you, what, what, what my, one of my good friends, MK Santi, who's a professor from the States, what he says is take two sets of notes. So by all means, use their education system, get what you can get from it, but know that you're being taught bullshit sometimes. And be able to, in fact, giving us a community education gives us the tools to get through these institutions, to cope with their nonsense, and to fight back, because the academy was one of the main spaces, elite universities of the world, the Western world, where racism was codified as a system. Mm. So UCL in London, for example, was one of the pioneering institutions of the eugenics program. So it's really important that we reclaim these spaces too, but from the basis of people-led uh, education formats. You were seven. No, I was, I was seven. I was yeah. in year seven, yeah. Oh, you were, yeah, you were seven years old. I wish I had a school like that when I was growing up. 
that's something we should all begin. Start thinking about from now. Imelda, I'm with you. Let me know. Imelda, how has the community been important for you in terms of healing, especially in the face of historical injustice? And I'm talking about genocide and slavery. How has the community been there for you and what's it, what's, what contribution has it made to your healing? Okay. Um, for those who don't know, Australia had a slave trade, sugar slaves, 60-odd thousand were bought here. And um, I hope I'm not preaching to the converted, but uh, I don't know how many of you know about blackbirding of the Pacific. But there were 62,000-odd Melanesian labourers brought to this country. And my grandfather was one of them. That's my mother's father at the age of 12 years old, taken off the island of um, Tana. Vanuatu and Solomons and 80 surrounding islands were reaped of their whole male populations. 95% of those men were brought here to Australia to cut sugarcane. Our organisation uh, represents and advocates for, in a voluntary capacity, uh, we are not paid, we are not funded, uh, only from a project-by-project project basis, but we are literally unrecognised as a part of the Australian narrative and even by our own communities um, due to the lack of understanding. I mean, people have an idea of the South Sea Islander, Pacific Islander descent um, in our heritage, but uh, we have an evident kinship with Aboriginal Australia. We're absorbed under the Aboriginal Protection Act uh, this is all stuff I didn't learn in school because we are left out of the narrative. So um, in the last six years of my life, I've been empowered and inspired um, to do this voluntary work. And uh, I just wanted to also recognise our board here tonight, which is my son, Shola, founding member, Auntie Shireen Malamu and uh, Zach Wohn, our deputy vice chair, for their continued support. But, you know, it's been a huge learning curve for all of us uh, as, as people of colour in this country. And it's not peculiar to any other country, as Ani Shireen would say. And, um, you know, in terms of self-determination, we really do need to take responsibility for our own stories. And uh, community education is a really powerful platform for us. And uh, our most recent workshops with um, Professor... Uh, Dr. Tufigin. I'll take and, the promotion. Um, a lot of these amazing young hip-hop artists here that worked with us on the Tweed and in, in Mount Truitt, Izzy and Tornado, brother boy there. But, um, you know, it's just been so inspiring to, you know, work from a cross-cultural platform and we are inclusive with all the work that we do. You know, this is about dual heritage and um, we come in many different colours and shapes and uh, it's so empowering to have, you know or to recognise your diverse heritage. You know, we talk about working from a spiritual perspective, from a cultural perspective, from a, you know, looking after the ancestors breathing on us and holding, you know, us, you know, in line with our cultural, um, I guess, paths in our lives. How do you deny your identity? Thank you. Absolutely. Imelda, I'm, I'm from a different community. I'm not from your community, but I draw strength from everything that you do and that your community does, so thank you. And me, you, with your uh, Why Is My Curriculum White, smashed it, loved it. Thank you. Evelyn, 
you come from a, a tradition, a, a, a family tradition of learning and investigation. You've grown up with different ways or really uh, profound ways of being, knowing and doing. Can you say something about the intergenerational aspect of that? What have you learned from your, uh, your, your parents and your, um, uh, your elders, and also, uh, what have you contributed? What, what, um, maybe touch on an aspect that you've contributed that, um, that has given it a new life, invigorated it. Uh, well, okay, so that's an invitation for me to tell my life story, right? <laughs> I don't have much of a life story, I'm only 23. Um, so... Yeah, uh, I, I actually really like that way of framing my family's experience. Um, uh, both of my parents are teachers. Uh, my father started the first Indigenous Studies, Aboriginal Studies curriculum in New South Wales. And, you know, for so much of my childhood, was running around the country trying to bring that into, you know, bloody city private schools and then, you know, middle of nowhere schools with two kids. Um, and my mum now, there's, there's a really significant age gap between the two of them, and my mum now is running programs for Aboriginal boys and girls out in Darug country in the Hawkesbury at this school where, like, this is where they send the ones that they have, like, got no idea what to deal with. You know, you've got kids who are travelling, like, you know, two hours every day to get to school because everywhere else has rejected them, and my mum is running these programs for these kids out of a support unit, so a unit that's traditionally developed to be dealing with kids with severe disabilities, so with autism and Down syndrome. And this is the particular section of the world in which they have decided this is how you're going to be educating Aboriginal children. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, and, and this is the thing, like, Darug, the Darug community, like, we are diasporic, we are... Like, you know, for those of you who aren't really familiar with this history, like, you know, Darug neighbours Eora country, um, the frontier wars and the Hawkesbury, like, absolutely decimated those people. They're not my people. My family has been on this land for four generations, but this is not my people. We come from Bunjalong Way. Um, but the network in this community is is really strong. Like, you've got you've got mob there from all over the bloody country, but we've met in a meeting place that is, you know, 100,000 years old and there's always been a meeting place. And um, I guess, like, it was incredibly normalised for me, like, that my parents were always learning and researching and teaching. And so, like, I've gone into academia and, like, I've gone into activism. I'm also, like you know, second generation of my father's activism and currently I'm trying to stop a 75-year-old man from chaining himself to a tree because they just don't stop people. But um, just just make him retire, retire from activism. Like once, you know, like just calm down. Um, but yeah, uh, my parents have been like really um, mild people. Like that community out there, you know, they are the ones that like drag me out of bed and you know, bloody seven o'clock in the morning. Like, no, you're coming to the elders meeting because we've heard that you've got an event on in Redfern, and like we're not going to it. But we've decided that because you're hosting a poetry event in Redfern, that now you can organise for us to have dance workshops in the Hawkesbury. Right? You can do that. Right? So like, I'm still in a process of working out what my responsibilities are, but like. I think uh, I am incredibly inspired by those educators 
and like you almost disappear in that process because you're inspired by those older people who have done this and have been struggling with this, working with how they're going to be educating the young people and then you immediately focus on the young people. So it's an incredibly humble experience for me to feel like I have some sort of place in that chain and that one day, like, you know, I'm going to work towards helping young people and one day they can look after me and that's when I'm going to become somebody that is able, you know, is, is, is worthy of the kind of the kind of respect that I see people running around give me now. Like, no, don't do that, don't do that, you know? Like, you know, I, I, I love all of the people. Like, Ahmed, you're great and everybody's been incredibly supportive of, of the work that this community is doing. But... Um, yeah, I'm just so excited to see where it's going, I guess. Thank you. What you have is a really special gift, but also a massive responsibility. Um, Akala, here in Australia, uh, I guess all settler colonial societies um, connect with the ancestors, connect with the knowledge system, and really frame it within this this perspective or this, um, this understanding of being, knowing, doing, but also incorporating sensing and, you know, a very special connection to the land. Now, maybe my situation is, is um, in some ways similar to yours. I mean, someone who uh, lives in a, in a country or grew up in a country and had to sort of uh, connect with a particular culture that didn't have, had very little points of reference. So, I mean... In contrast to this idea of being, knowing, doing, sensing, where did, how did you frame your knowledge growing up? What, what, was your point, what were your points of reference? Um, well, I think there's a couple of points in, in, in what you just said, actually. One of the fascinating things about Britain is that whiteness, the idea of white supremacy, the idea of white unity, has meant that the indigenous population of Britain, who were colonized and enslaved and had Roman Catholicism forced upon them and then Church of England and were hung and brutalized until very recently actually in their history, have decided to forget and deny all of that in the name of becoming warriors for whiteness. So the fascinating thing about Britain is actually large swathes of the population were colonized by you know, Franco-German people. The British royal family is German, the British elite is Norman, the patron saint of England is Turkish, but these people were like, get out of our country, foreigners. Um, <laughs> and you're seeing a resurgence of an understanding of that, particularly in Scotland, to a degree in Wales, where until very recently, uh, the Welsh language was very much suppressed. Um, so ironically, the myth of racial unity, and this is true for all of Europe, in France until about 1840, the vast majority of France didn't speak French, same in Italy, same in elsewhere. Indigenous cultures of Europe had their own cultures eradicated by this one imperial monolith, but they've now decided to forget that in the name of Western European unity in general. Mm. Um, so for me, living in that culture, um, I, I, was, I was very fortunate, actually. Even though we were poor, I was really surrounded. It's only now I've become older and I've realized just how culturally rich my upbringing was and how much I took for granted. Like I said, my stepdad was the stage manager of the leading Black Caribbean theater. My dad ran a sound system. My mum, even though she, she's white, she's half Scottish, half English, she, unlike a lot of, because back in the 80s, having mixed children was not fashionable. Today, we're like a fashion accessory. Everyone's like, I want, I want a little half-caste baby, which is, you know, people actually say that, I swear to God. Um, because today that's, you know, with good hair, all that crap, right? A light skin child. Um, back then it really was brutal. Um, and my mum, 
got chased, got called nigger lover, got attacked, all of that kind of stuff. And actually her reaction to that was to say, I need to give my children who are racialized as black, even though I'm a white woman, the equipment to cope with the society that they're in. And I can't give it to them because I'm white. I don't know what it's like to be stereotyped based solely on the color of my skin. So she was, who sent me to Pan-African Saturday School. So I think the framing of knowledge actually was done for me very early by the people around me and by the community. And I just walked into it, really. A lot of people will say, oh, right, you know, some people think you know, he's smart. And actually, no, the community literally, which is why I feel such a um, sense of responsibility to use my position, because I was given this platform. By, my secondary school had a, a teacher who nearly got sacked about 50 times because he had this extracurricular black history class. He didn't get paid for it the entire time we were in secondary school. Every single Friday night, this man had a family, from year seven to year 11 of high school, he gave up his Friday night to teach us black history. So only now I'm an adult, I'm like, this guy saved my life. And there were several people like, like him. So I think we have to recognize that in every community in the world, there are those people without whom more, more of us would be going to jail, as bad as it seems. More of us would be in, 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 in the grave. So yeah, I think it's important to, to recognize all of those people and all of their effort, not just the ones with the greatest of respect to all of us lot that are on the stage with the microphones. We wouldn't exist without you lot too. It's a two-way dialogue. It's those very people that should be um, respected and honoured rather than symbols of colonial achievement. So these are the people that deserve to be yeah. um, well-known. The first... Ver Thank you. The very first time I heard the notion of being, knowing and doing was when I attended one of your lectures, Juanita, and it had a massive impact on me. But you've got a very special role in the community because of your background in nursing. You're also a healer. Could you maybe comment on uh, the importance of that and the, the, the sense of, um, or the, the, the role that you have in the community as a healer? That's a big one. <laughs> Can you hear me? Is I've been very, very, very lucky um, and the community made me a healer. Um, I worked in Redfern on the block um, for many, many years as a child and family health nurse. And I was just telling this one about our rap song in on Otitis Media, you know, like, so seriously, we, we, we did some deadly things. Um, but... Um, I guess community grew me um, and, and it, it's still growing me. I, I'm very fortunate to have been connected to many communities around the country. Um, I've lived not just in Redfern, um, I've lived in Ellis, I've lived in Cairns, I've lived in West, far western New South Wales and I've been very welcomed um, to connect and work with and I've been very fortunate to work in family violence, women's health, child and family health, um, and probably the most current stuff I've been doing is prison health. Um, and I've worked for many years in the prisons and going back to the prison on Monday. And I guess what I've learnt in that space is Colonisation is a pretty hard, nasty thing. And it's 
ongoing. Don't ever let anyone tell you that it's stopped. It's a continuing saga. Um, it impacts on your health and your well-being. It's passed on through your genes. It's passed on how, in ways that you, the way you manage your stress. Um, we are hypervigilant to stress because of the intergenerational trauma and historic trauma we carry. These are really important stories that we all need to know that these things have implications, as well as the lack of the story about who we are and where we are in this country. I think um, part of my healing was learning a lot about education and building that into my sense of knowing around health. And I've been grown up by a number of fantastic elders and healers, so I've been very fortunate and hopefully I can pass that on to others and I guess that's my job. Thank you. Excellent. It's very rare to meet a campaigner like you, Imelda. I've never seen anyone who has such a talent or amazing skills when it comes to networking. It must be really hard to sort of um, uh, negotiate in, in, in a lot of situations and a lot of contexts with all these different cultures and different um, um, social groups and different um, perspectives. What do you think the role of the response? Uh, what do you think the role of the university is in the campaigning that you do? What would you like to see the university do more of? First of all, um, I'd like to acknowledge Sydney University for their ongoing commitment and um, Sydney Ideas in particular because we've hosted, uh, not long after we won New South Wales recognition um, in uh, 2013, we hosted the first panel with a um, uh, member for Sydney, Alex Greenwich, and that was incredible. And uh, there's a real consciousness with the university. Um, and then sort of coming into the fold with yourself and participating as a part of the Pacific Island Talks as well uh, with Matt Pohl, who was our former secretary. But it, it's played a critical role there for us. And um, if there's any opportunity for us to actually set up some sort of scholarship program through a particular um, class action that we're looking at at this point in time, um, I'd like to see you know, an opportunity for our community leaders to come in and formalise qualifications. And, um, you know, if I'm fortunate enough to get an application across the road, across the line, um, you know, year 12 background, but life experience, yes. um, you know, I'm going to make sure that that's going to be my dying breath, is to see that education is a critical part of our, um, I guess, sustainability for our young people in particular and um, maintaining that story and again coming back to taking responsibility. We can whinge all day about what people do to us but unless you get up and actually you know support each other you know through yeah and participate you know we're alive this is a human race thing um, and we need to overcome some of that adversity through collaborative processes and working with the university and a lot of people that are here today, I just want to thank you all because you know who you are and you've worked with us in maintaining and giving us a voice. Australian South Sea Islanders are left out of the narrative and uh, with your support and that collaborative blackness or people of colour, inclusive of white people, it's all a colour, but we, we overcome and we slowly are getting traction and national and international recognition and building on the work of 
you know, past uh, great leaders that are even here today, you know. It's um, a consciousness. We all need to be very conscious. Wake up and love what you do in the day. If anyone can make it, it's you. And you're already my educator, so... You're going to get there. Um, closing statement from everyone. We've got to wrap it up. I, I could go on all night, but closing statement from everyone. Uh, community as a source of pride, as a way of instilling pride. What next? What needs to happen? Evelyn? Um, like, I guess the point that I would want to make with that is that the community already has the capacity, the community already has the power, they have the knowledge, they have, you know, they, they have the guidance, they have, you know, like, a colour. I've heard you say ancestors a couple of times, and I've heard you speak in these structures that, to me, are like, oh, we're speaking the same language here. Like, um, and this is, this is something that, like, we're not, we're not without, that, um, that absolutely remains with us and remains with the land. Um, I think that there's more that the community that can happen for the community. Um, the community has, you know, like, and I'm just, I'm just saying, community, community, community. Um, Blackfellas, uh, like, are the most resilient people that, like, I mean, look what we've come up against, and look what we've risen up against. Um, we don't, we don't need other people to be assigning us particular structures of success. We don't need a university, like as somebody who works at a university, like, you know, just understand that this is a complicated, nuanced thing, but we don't need universities and the structures that they currently exist. We need more spaces. We need many of the spaces that we already have to not only be decolonized, but to be weaponized. Like we need to be using these spaces of resistance of cultural continuity. Um, and we need to just, we need to be taking what we can, we need people to be giving resources because that capacity is there, those skills, those abilities, that knowledge that is absolutely present. Um, it's just about something as simple as like, you know, the, um, you know, and, and Joanne, you were part of a forum that like we did with no money, absolutely no money, but we had, you know, a room at the university so full of people um, who were willing and who was there and wanted to know what was happening, needed to know what was happening to Dylan, it needed to know what was happening to these young boys. Um, the community wants that, but sometimes it's just so simple as like giving us a bloody room and giving us a microphone where we can actually be having these dialogues. So like, I don't like the mentality where where we have to be given anything that is adhering to a particular structure that is actually not going to be our, our liberation or our decolonization or our cultural continuity. But we need to work with whatever we have and we need allies to be constructive, to take up a lot less space than what they are currently taking and to give us the opportunity to do what we already know how to do. Juanita, community pride, what next? I think that we can do a lot of being respectful partners with community and provide community with the opportunities to have a voice. Um, I think 
not enough people know what communities are dealing with. And I think from an academic perspective, I think we've got a great responsibility to ensure that we are providing an opportunity for community to know their options, know that they can um, rely on us to have a room to, to talk, to be able to have a voice, to be able to write a paper that, that hits Canada and the US and, and overseas so that people have other opportunities to be heard. And I, and I just think that's something that I, I like to do for community anyway. Thank you. Milda? Um, I, I guess uh, something that I've been speaking about for a while is it's really important to have that consciousness and um, think about where you're living and uh, making sure that you're putting First Nations first no matter where you are in the world uh, because uh, there's a lot of Indigenous populations that have been, you know, discarded, overrun, colonised and just forgotten about and... Uh, if we're working from black perspectives, yeah, black empowerment, self-determination, it's critical that you involve and include and work for and collaborate with First Nations people, as well as working with, um, I guess, you know, like-mindedness, you know, that's, that's community building, you know, and having empathy and know that, you know, things will be difficult, things, you will be challenged. And uh, it's not all easy, but, uh, you know, in the long run, the fruits of your labour will be so much more successful and sustainable for our youth. Thank you. Thanks for the lessons. Akala, community, pride, where do we go? Um, to be honest with you, I think between my sister and my aunties here, everything's been said. I, I, I don't feel like I have anything to add on that, on that point. I'm not going to talk just for the sake of it. Thank you so much. Respect. I just want to extend a very warm and very respectful thank you to all of you. This has been amazing. A big learning curve for me.